This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. First up tonight, the FBI in Peace and War, a radio crime drama inspired by Frederick Lewis Collins' book of the same name. It aired on CBS from November 25th of 44 through to September 28th of 1958, produced and directed by Max Marson and Betty Mandeville. The show had a variety of sponsors over the years, including Lava Soap, Wild Rug Cream Oil, Lucky Strike, Nescafe, and Wrigley's. In 1955, it was the eighth most popular show on radio. Tonight's episode is entitled, The Courier. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents, This is Your FBI. This is Your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented transcribed as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. Appearing on this evening's program in the role of Inspector Young is George Murphy, star of the new Louis de Rochemont production, Walk East on Beacon, released by Columbia Pictures. This authentic motion picture, made with the cooperation of your FBI, reveals the manner in which the FBI is carrying out its widespread offensive against espionage in the United States. There are many examples in history of people who have given up freedom in return for promises of future security. This is not the American way. We Americans prefer to secure our future and preserve our freedom at the same time. For this reason, more than five million Americans have joined the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States of our own free will. Throughout the nation, the Equitable Society is represented by 8,000 insurance specialists. In about ten minutes, I'll tell you more about these men and how they may help you solve your problems and enjoy the advantages of membership in the Equitable Society. Tonight, the subject of our FBI file, Subversive Activity. It's titled, The Courier. Later this month, the American people will observe one of their most solemn holidays, Memorial Day, set aside for the purpose of honoring those who have died in the wars fought to perpetuate our freedom. This evening, your FBI unveils for your inspection the case history of an American communist, a man who may be responsible for the future deaths of countless of his fellow Americans if there should be a third world war. 
This man was a courier in the atomic spy ring, a citizen of our country who espoused the doctrine of hate and became a traitor. His life testified to the utter darkness of the communist way. And by examining that life, we see the tragic error of communism, a blight which saps the moral strength of a man and leaves him a helpless puppet. Tonight's FBI file opens on a January afternoon in 1944. The place is a busy street corner in downtown New York. I wasn't there. I found out about this part of the story years later. I'm Inspector Young, assigned to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's headquarters staff. I wasn't on that corner, but a short, chunky, bespectacled man was. He was carrying a book with a green leather binding. He was waiting for a man carrying a very strange object in his left hand, an ink-stained tennis ball. After waiting a few minutes, the man with the tennis ball came along. Pardon me. That book from the library? Yes. I'm Dr. Fanola. I'm Christopher. Let's walk. Tell your friend I may not be here long. You just arrived. Possible. I'll be here a week, a month, or I may have to leave tonight. For where? Maybe Tennessee. Mm Hmm? What's so important down there? Our experiments. We're working on nuclear fission. Really? Do you understand? Not entirely, but I'm a chemist. I know what atomic energy would mean. You uh, better wait for the light. Yeah. How will I contact you in the future? On the first page of this book, you'll find a phone number. Call there and leave word with John that you want to see me. John is your superior? Yes. All right. I'll call as soon as I have something. With that meeting, the history of the world was affected. Dr. Panola was a member of a team of European scientists, and Christopher was the code name for an innocuous-looking chemist. But both had something in common besides an interest in science. Both were anxious to help in the foundation of a new world, a Soviet world. They met a half a dozen times during the next six months, always in a public place. Dr. Panola passed his papers to Christopher, who in turn kept an appointment with his superior, a man from an Iron Curtain consulate, a man named John. Pardon me, sir. Yes. You got a match? Here. Oh, thanks. Did you see him? Yes, he gave him some reports. Where are they? In a locker here at the station. He give you the key? It's in your book of matches. Thanks for the light. Whether he was meeting John or Dr. Panola, Christopher observed one rule. Caution. That was vital, for now the information Dr. Panola was relaying was becoming more and more important. Everything was going according to plan. And then one day... John? Something's happened to the doctor. An accident? I can't find out. He didn't meet me this morning. I waited for two hours, and then I went to the alternate meeting place. He never came near either one. Go to his apartment. Oh, he's not there. The janitor says he left town, but he doesn't know for where. I thought he'd call you before he went anyplace. He should have. 
Well, what can we do now? His sister lives in this country. Oh, where? Up in New England. Her name's, uh, uh, Mrs. Kermit. I'll give you her address. Go see her. Good morning. I'd like to see Mrs. Kermit. I'm Mrs. Kermit. Well, I'm a friend of your brother, Dr. Panola. Oh, well, please come in. Thank you. My name is Mr. Christopher. Won't you sit down, Mr. Christopher? Thank you. Uh, Do you live here in town? No, I just happen to be going through. I called the doctor yesterday and found he left New York. Yes, he's been transferred. Where to? Someplace out west. Uh Uh-huh. Do you have his address? No, I don't, Mr. Christopher. You know Eric. He always keeps everything about his work so secret. Yes. Isn't there any way you can get in touch with him? Well, he said he'd write, but I guess he just hasn't had time. Well, Mrs. Kermit, if I leave a message, will you get it to your brother when you do hear from him? Of course. Just tell him that Mr. Christopher was here. I'll write a phone number for you in New York. Have him call me. A week went by... Two weeks, a month, and still no word from Dr. Panola. Then one day, in an office at the Communist-controlled consulate in New York. Hello? John? Yes. Dr. Panola. Where are you? In Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was transferred very suddenly to a new atomic center near here called Los Alamos. You should have called me. I didn't have time. Do you have any news? Yes, and it's very important. Get a leave of absence and bring it east. I can't. You'll have to meet me. Where? Here in Santa Fe. I'll send Christopher. All right. Tell him to come to Santa Fe a week from today. I'll meet him at four in the afternoon on the Castillo Street Bridge. Four weeks later, Christopher went by train to Albuquerque. From there, he took a bus to Santa Fe. And now he used the caution he had been taught. He went to a store and purchased a city map. That meant he wouldn't have to ask anyone for directions to the Castillo Street Bridge. Wouldn't have to speak to anyone who might later identify him. Using the map, he arrived at the bridge. He began to walk across. Where are you going? The bus station. Jump in. Oh, thanks. details with you? It's all the latest ones. Wonderful. What's happened? Wait until I drop you. Why? If we're stopped, I'm entitled to have them on me. You're not. Tell John he won't hear from me again. Why not? I'm going back to Europe. My work here is done. When are you leaving? Any day now. There's nothing more to be transmitted. When these papers get to Moscow, they'll know as much about the bomb as we do. Return in just a moment to tonight's exciting case from the official files of your FBI. But right now, here's a message that may be of great interest to you. It's the experience of Mr. George Whitby, a member and policyholder of the Equitable Life Assurance Society. 
How long have you been a member, Mr. Whitby? Four and a half years, Mr. Keating. Well, what was it that first interested you in becoming a policy-holding member of the Equitable Society? It was a life insurance plan that I heard you talk about on this program, Mr. Keating. It interested my wife and me so much, we decided to find out more about it. So I looked up the name of our local Equitable Society agent. I gave him a ring, and he dropped around the next evening. He knew his business. He seemed genuinely concerned about our problem. He was more like a counselor than a salesman. I'd say that's a good description of Equitable Society men everywhere, all 8,000 of them. They help you get the kind of life insurance that will be most advantageous to you. They believe that the best insurance service is based on a friendly, mutual understanding between agent and client. Well, if they're all like our equitable agents, they're a mighty fine bunch of men to do business with. They really are. You see, equitable agents are specialists. They're trained men, professional men, who have chosen life insurance as a career. And they have the backing of a large group of home office specialists. All of them are at the service of every equitable member and prospective member. And that's a thought I'd like to leave with our listeners. Equitable society men are good men to do business with. So, if you have a life insurance problem, if you're interested in the future security and the peace of mind of your family, consult the man who can help you most. Consult your local telephone directory for the name of your local equitable representative. Or write to the Equitable Society care of this station. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file, The Courier. After that meeting in Santa Fe, we at the Federal Bureau of Investigation learned that the basic secrets of nuclear fission had been stolen. I am not at liberty to reveal how we obtained that information, for security and human lives are involved. However, I can tell you the information was conclusive. It proved beyond any question that the secrets of atomic bomb construction had been acquired by Russia. Now Mr. Hoover called a meeting and issued an order. Find the guilty man. Do the job, he mobilized every possible resource. The case was given top priority. Tom, we've gotten a break on the atomic investigation. What's that, Jim? Well, we developed some information about a scientist who was at Los Alamos back in 1945. His name is Dr. Panola. Is he still at Los Alamos? No, he's back in Europe, so Mr. Hoover sent our information to the authorities over there. They just cabled that Panola's made a full confession. Oh, good. Well, he claims he'll cooperate, but he's only mentioned two people he worked with over here. We have any records on them? Well, yes and no. Uh, first man was somebody named John, who worked at the New York consulate of a communist-controlled country. Well, where is he now? He's back in his own country. Oh. The other man Panola named was the courier who delivered his reports to this John. His name is Christopher. Is that his first or last name? Panola says that's all he ever called him. Has he given us any description? Yeah. Here's the cable with all the information. Mm-hmm. Study it, then we'll go to work. The information supplied by Dr. Panola was this. Christopher appeared to know chemistry and engineering. He was from 30 to 40 years of age, about 5 feet 8 inches tall. He didn't know where Christopher lived, but he thought he was still in the United States. That meant your FBI had the task of locating a man 
whose name they didn't know, whose complete description they didn't have, and who might be anywhere in the country. In all the history of the FBI, there never was a more important problem than this one. The unknown man had to be found. Of that, there was no question. But how? Where do you start on a manhunt where the wanted person could be almost any man in the United States? Your FBI had a list of the places where Dr. Panola had remembered contact being made. One of those places was the home of his sister. I made that my first stop. Mrs. Kermit? Yes? I'm Inspector Young of the FBI. Here are my credentials. Come in, please. Thank you. I suppose you're here about Eric. Uh, yes, I am. Then those stories in the papers. They're true. I'm afraid they are. Mr. Young, may I say something before you ask me any questions? Why, of course. I, I love my brother, and, and I'm not deserting him while he's in trouble. But neither my husband nor I ever suspected that he was a communist. But we didn't even know what he was doing in this country. Perhaps you still can help us. Your brother says a man named Christopher visited you here. What can you tell us about him? Well, let me see. Uh, can you give us a description of him? Well, he, he was kind of a stocky man. Not too tall. He, he had sort of brown hair and heavy face. And I think he was a... Well, I'd say he was about in his middle 30s. Did he speak with an accent? No, he didn't. Uh, how long was he here? About an hour. Mm -hmm. Did he tell you what he did for a living? I think he said something about chemistry. Was he married? I don't think he said anything about that one way or the other. Did he uh, mention any city besides New York? Yes, he did. He told me he came here by train from... Oh, oh yes, he said Philadelphia. That's about all I can remember about him. Well, if you think of anything else, I'd appreciate your calling me. Now the full resources of your FBI were put to work. Every tenant in the large New York apartment house where Dr. Panola had lived was questioned. Some were scattered to distant points on the map, but each was located. Did any of them furnish any information? No. Former employees and scientists at the two atomic centers where Dr. Panola had been stationed were interviewed. Did they know anything about a heavy-set chemist whose name might be Christopher? No. In Santa Fe, inquiries were made at bus, air travel, railroad ticket offices. Hotel registers were analyzed, again with no results. A list of chemists was compiled from the city records of New York and Philadelphia. Of the tens of thousands who were possible suspects, 15% were immediately eliminated because they were women. Other thousands were removed from the list because of discrepancies in age, physical appearance. Gradually, the number was paired to 1,000, then 500, then 100, then 1. Jim, there's a chemist in Philadelphia named Craig. He might be Christopher. No. Here's his description. Thanks. Born Russia. Where'd you get his name? It was on the list of chemists, and it was in our files. 
We questioned him back in 1947. Oh, about what, Tom? Well, he was described as a communist suspect by a chemical engineer in New York, a fellow named Grimes. Have you spoken to this Grimes? He's dead. Uh, Where's Craig now? Working as a chemist for a hospital in Philadelphia. Uh Before that, he was with the Philadelphia Sugar Company. I've gone over their employment records, and Craig either reported sick or was on vacation on the dates Panola claims he met the courier. You interviewed Craig yet? No. That's where I'm going now. Uh, I'm looking for Mr. Craig. I'm Craig. You waiting for a test? No, I'm Inspector Young of the FBI. Here are my credentials. Mm-hmm. Well, what can I do for you, Mr. Young? When you find time, I'd, uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Why don't we do it now? Fine. By the way, what am I charged with? Well, nothing yet. I knew I couldn't be. I haven't done anything. Ask me any questions you like. In questioning a suspect, it sometimes is a better course of action for a special agent to make his first few queries very general, covering vital statistics. Other times, an agent will uh, attempt to employ the element of surprise and make his first question the big one. I showed Craig a picture of Dr. Panola. This man familiar? Of course, that's Dr. Panola. You know him? Sure, everybody does after the publicity he got. Is that why you recognized his picture? Yes, I saw it often enough in the papers. Have you ever seen Dr. Panola in person? No, not that I know of. Why, was he in Philadelphia? I don't know. Tell me, Mr. Craig, where did you work before you got this job at the hospital? At a sugar company. How was your health in those days? Oh, not very good. As a matter of fact, that's why I took this job. I was ill quite a lot at the sugar company. When I took sick leave, they docked me for the days I missed. Did you go anywhere on those sick leaves? Oh, sometimes to New York to see a show. Usually I stayed home. Did you take any trips to New England? Never been there in my life. Did you take any vacations while you were at the sugar company? Two weeks each summer. Did you spend them taking trips? No, no, I'm one of those unusual people, I guess. I just never was bitten by the travel bug. I like it here. Well, I guess that would mean that you've never been out west, say, to New Mexico or California. I went to Pittsburgh last year to the chemist convention. That's as far west as I've ever gone. Mm Mm-hmm. You know many chemists? Yes, of course. Did you happen to know a chemical engineer in New York named uh, Grimes? Grimes, yes. He died last year. Oh, did he? At least that's what I heard. Uh, tell me, would you have any objections to my taking some pictures of you? Not at all. But why? Well, we'd like to use them in connection with an investigation. I see. You can refuse, of course, to grant permission. I have no objection. I, uh, I brought along a camera, but I'm, I'm afraid we don't have enough light in here. No, I don't. Can we go outside and take them now? Surely. At noon, I started to shoot pictures of Craig. By 2.30, the film was delivered to the FBI laboratory in Washington. They were developed immediately and put aboard a plane to Europe. The following day, at the prison where Dr. Panola was in custody, the pictures were shown to him. He leaned forward in his chair and studied the screen intently. Proof that the right man had been found could now be had if Dr. Panola identified Craig. The room was quiet except for the whir of the movie projector. Stop. That man is not Christopher. 
After Dr. Panola's discouraging words, we ran the film again, this time for the doctor's sister in New England. If she could make a definite identification, it would be almost as valuable as Dr. Panola's. She couldn't. In spite of this, we at FBI headquarters were still sure Craig was the man we wanted. I was in my office the following day when... Young. Hello, Mr. Young. This is Leonard Craig. Oh, hello. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Say, I thought of something after you left. Oh, yeah? What was that? Maybe you'd like to look around my room. Oh, I can't. Why not? Well, in order to get a search warrant, I'd have to say what I expected to find in your room. You don't need a search warrant. Oh, I do, unless you're willing to give me your permission. Well, that's why I called. Will you put that permission in writing? Of course. Well, fine. When can we meet? I'll be home around 6.30. I'll be there. That evening, Craig was again as polite and cooperative as possible. He suggested I start with a table beside his bed. That's where he kept a lot of his papers. Uh, if there's anything you don't understand, be glad to explain. Thank you. Maybe a few scraps of paper with chemical data. Maybe even I won't understand it now. Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's a chemical journal. Whenever an item of interest was found, Craig was ready to give an explanation. He was supremely confident. He seemed to have an answer for every question. We worked our way through each drawer of the table and then around the room to the bookcase. Mind if I look through your books? Not at all. Hey, there's something behind them. They're paperback mysteries. Oh, I hide them so my friends won't find out I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> I see. Wait a minute. It looks like there's something back of the bookcase. Uh-huh. You mind if I move it out? No, not at all. Yeah, that'll be enough. What did you find? A city map of Santa Fe. Huh? Maybe whoever had this room before me left it. You think the former tenant also marked the Castillo Street Bridge on the map? Well, uh... You said you'd never been west of Pittsburgh. Was that true? Mr. Craig, would you like to tell me the whole story? in federal court, Leonard Craig was sentenced to a long term in a federal penitentiary. And now a word from the star of tonight's program, Mr. George Murphy. Ladies and gentlemen, I should like to take this opportunity to tell you about one of the most exciting things that has ever happened to me. Last fall, I had the privilege of working in a new motion picture called Walk East on Beacon, a picture adapted from FBI cases photographed and portrayed as it happened with the complete cooperation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is an important picture for you to see because it shows exactly how the agents of a foreign government operate. It is an exciting picture and there's a realness and honesty about it that you won't forget. It's a picture that Americans, both old and young, should see. I would like to thank Mr. J. Edgar Hoover for selecting me to play the part of Inspector Belly. It was one of the most exciting experiences of my life. 
And as for your FBI, ladies and gentlemen, in this troubled world, we should thank God every night for this wonderful group of men. The finest, most efficient, most self-sacrificing, best public servants in the world. As long as we have the FBI, we need not fear for the future of America. I think you will enjoy seeing how they protect you and your country in Walk East on Beacon. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Now, if you are interested in planning for future security and peace of mind of yourself and your family, why not talk to the man in your community who can help you most? Your local Equitable Society representative will be glad to discuss your problems with you at any time and without any obligation. Throughout the United States, there are more than 8,000 of these insurance specialists. To get in touch with your local Equitable Society representative, simply consult your local telephone directory. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Its subject, impersonation. Its title, The Punch and Judy Shakedown. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of places or persons, living or dead, is accidental. Tonight, George Murphy was starred as Inspector Young. The music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry T. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. Others in the cast were Whitfield Connor, Ted DeCorsia, Isabel Jewell, and Tom Tully. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling transcribed story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Punch and Judy Shakedown on This is Your FBI. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Archie the bartender to start pouring the shots at Duffy's Tavern. It's Duffy's Tavern, brought to you transcribed by the National Broadcasting Company, with Charlie Cantor as Finnegan, Hazel Sherman as Miss Duffy, Pats be shown at the piano and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. When Irish eyes are smiling, sure it's like the morning spring. Hello, Duffy Stavern, where the elite meets the Archie the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. I guess you heard the good news about Rhinelander McGurk, huh? Yep, born a poor boy in humble surroundings. Came up the hard way. Nobody to give him a helping hand. And yet, he winds up being electrocuted in one of the top prisons of the country. <laughs> it just shows that we're living in a true democracy, Duffy. <clears throat> Was his family proud? Well, uh, strangely enough, uh, some of them was uh, rather shocked. Yeah. Three of them were sitting right alongside of him. <laughs> it was the first time in history, instead of using an electric chair, the prison had to use a sofa. <laughs> huh? Well, I'm busy cleaning up the joint, you know. It was quite a mess after the going-away party that we had for McGurk. 
Well, no, uh, McGurk himself wasn't here. Uh, we just drank to him, you know, and absentia. Yeah. Yeah, we just kept drinking toasts and till the lights dimmed twice. And <laughs> then everybody cheered and went home. <clears throat> well, look, I got to hang up now, Duffy. As I say, I'm working hard getting the place cleaned up. Oh, yes, I'm working very hard. Okay, Fats, you shuffle and I'll deal. <laughs> Excuse me. What? What, Duffy? What do you mean I never do no work around here? I love your audacity. Who cleans out the joint? Who cooks the food? Who waits on the customers? Who does all the dirty work? I know, but who tells Fats to do it? <laughs> huh? Ah, go soak your head. Ah, that Duffy. I worked me fingers to the grindstone. What do I get? Nothing but retribution. I'm sick of it. Work, 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 work. Okay, Fats, I got two pairs. <laughs> Three of a kind. You win. Work, work, work. Why do I work so hard? Look at me. I'm down to a skeleton. Look at how my chest has shrank. It ain't shrank. It's just gone to pot. <laughs> Look, it just happens that I'm wearing a fat apron. Mr. Archie, if people lost wake waking, yeah, you'd look like Man Mountain Dean. Just a minute. Are you inferring that I ain't laborious? I'm only saying you spend so much time watching the clock that when we went off daylight savings, you had to set your eyes back one hour. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll prove to you that I lost weight on this job. Here, I'll show you on the weighing machine. Hey, wait a minute, Fats. Look on the back of this card. It's got me fortune. It says, today will be your lucky day. Mr. Archer, you ain't gonna believe that little card. Oh, no? See? Me luck has started already. Look, I got me penny back. What's so lucky about that? I put in a slug. <laughs> yes, sir, Fats. There's a, a time in the affairs of the tide of men when the flood of the gate leads on to fortune. And... Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Probably the Irish sweepstake going. <clears throat> Just hope I don't get nervous in the newsreels. <laughs> the Irish? Oh. Hello, Faith and Begara. Huh? Who's this? Oh. Who is it? Chin Lee. <laughs> you know, from the laundry. Uh, <clears throat> tell me, uh, what can I do for you, C.L.? <laughs> Right? Well, that's swell. Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll be seeing you, Flathen Bligglala. More good luck? Yep, it's uncanny, Fats. The laundry lost me shirt. <laughs> that is good luck. Yeah. Yeah, so instead of a shirt, Chin Lee's gonna give me 25 cents in cash. <laughs> 25 cents for a shirt? I told him I bought it new. <laughs> Yes, sir, that fortune-telling card was right. Ain't it a funny thing the way some days is lucky and other days is jinxes? Like the time that Tim Hannigan walked under that ladder. Bad luck? Bad. That's the day that Tim Hannigan walked under that ladder. He was young, healthy, strong, full of life. And then? Three days later, they found him married. 
<laughs> and look at Rhineland and McGurk. <clears throat> you mean the guy that was electrocuted? Yeah, even he had a touch of bad luck. Uh, oh, I... oh, hello, Finny, and how are you? Oh, I'm busy working, Art. Busy working? Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. I got a job for the holidays running the elevator at Messi. Well, you're running the elevator, and how come you're here? I've been grounded. <laughs> Too bad. What happened? Your, your brain leak at high altitudes? Oh, no, dude. It's all because of a slight misunderstanding. Misunderstanding, huh? Yeah, you see, dude, I thought Macy's had two basements. <laughs> but they haven't. They have now. You mean... I drove that elevator 20 feet below the ground. Well, after you did that, then what did you do? Oh, don't worry. I, I kept my wits about me. You did, huh? Oh, yeah. I nonchalantly opened the door, turned to the passengers, and I said, Step up, please. <laughs> Real quick thinking, Finnegan. Tell me, how did you get this job with me? How did I get it? Uh, I had experience. You remember Chicago at the stockyards? I used to run that outdoor elevator. Oh, and the experience helped you at Macy's, huh? No, it's in fact, it hurt me. It got me into trouble. How? Well, in the stockyards, I got in the habit of slapping them in the rear to make them get out there. <laughs> And you did the same thing at Macy's? Yeah, yeah. Except that I was politer. You was politer, huh? Yeah. At Macy's, you wear gloves. <laughs> how diplomatic. Well, how do you... Do you like the job, or Oh, it's all right. Except that some people are so impossible. They're, they're always complaining. Like yesterday... The same started complaining that she couldn't breathe in the elevator. Why couldn't she breathe? I had a nose caught in the door. <laughs> well, didn't she tell you that her nose was caught in the door? Yeah, but I thought she always talked that way. <laughs> thought it might be Rudy Valley's mother. Oh, what people you have to put up with. <laughs> oh, it's what today another dame comes in and she says, Operator, I'd like to change this Skype. So I says, Not in my elevator, you don't. Well, anyway, I'm glad you got a job, Finnegan. And by the way, today is my lucky day, too, you know. Your lucky day? How do you know? Well, I, this little card from the weighing machine. It's a lucky omen. Oh, you believe in them lucky omens? Well, certainly, don't you? No, I don't. Dude, take my uncle, for instance. He's got two rabbit's feet, and they brought him nothing but trouble. Two rabbit's feet, and they brought him trouble? Why? Well, he can't find a pair of shoes that'll fit him. <laughs> Finnegan, tell me, why don't you go and find a mind reader and bet him that he can't? <laughs> 
Oh, that's a good suggestion, Arch. It appeals to my sporting blood. Good. Well, I'll be seeing you. Uh, hey, hey, Miss Duffy, what's the matter with you? What are you, what are you looking so excited about? Oh, didn't you hear what just happened at our house? What? Papa was shaving and the razor slipped. This is me lucky day. <laughs> he was shaving, huh? Tell me, how's he getting along? Oh, fine, but Mama's feeling awful weak. How come your mother's feeling weak? Well, who do you think he was shaving? <laughs> Well, maybe I ain't so lucky after all. <clears throat> what do you mean? Well, one of them weighing machine cars, you know, says that today is going to be my lucky day. Oh, those weighing machine cards. I got on a scale the other day, and you know what the card said? In your case, it probably said, deposit another penny, please. Your 200 pounds is up. <laughs> Archie, I don't weigh 200 pounds. And for your information, I have weighed as little as 110. But you was four years old at the time. <laughs> And what else did the card say? Uh, any predictions? Yeah, it said, prepare for romance. Ere the night is over, your lips will be burning. What happened? Somebody set fire to your mustache? <laughs> Certainly not. That's why I don't believe in those cards. Before the night was over, Rodney Haybinder had proposed. Well? To the girl next door. Well, at least you was close. <clears throat> I should have suspected it those nights when the three of us were sitting in the hammock. Why? His feet were always in my lap. <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I thought I should take what I could get. Yeah, I see. Uh, well, Mr. Archie. Yeah, Fats. Special delivery letter for you. Let me have it. Hey, it's from Sing Sing. It's from Rhinelander McGee. How do you know? Part of the envelope is singed. <laughs> Probably wrote it on his death seat. Let us take a look at it. Hey, hey, Fats, it's his will. It says, to whom it may concern, crime don't pay. I hereby leave six million dollars to me old buddies in the New York Police Department. <laughs> and to me old pal Archie... I bequeathed one half interest in me racehorse, Stumblebump. Did you hear that, Miss Duffy? I inherited a half a racehorse. I told you this was me lucky day. Oh, what else does the letter say? Well, let me see. P.S. In case I break out of this place, you'll be seeing me in person. Signed, Rhinelander McGurk. P.P.S. He didn't. <laughs> You won't. Sign the warden. <laughs> Boy, that weighing machine was right. Look at me. The, the bona fide owner of a half of a racehorse. Hey, Fats, quick. Uh, get me some sugar cubes and a bale of hay. Why? What do you mean, why? Maybe you haven't got the half that eats. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's... Oh, no, Rhinelander wouldn't do that to me, his old pal. He... He knows how I always like to look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> well, gang, this calls for a real celebration. It's me lucky day. Miss Duffy, get out the champagne. Fat some music, please, while everybody drinks a toast to Archie. The half-horse racetrack tycoon. <laughs> I'm afraid to love you, afraid I might like it. I'm afraid to hold you. 
afraid I might like it When your lips invite me To steal a kiss or two I'm tempted but I never follow through I'm afraid you'll thrill me Thrill me then leave me What's another heart or two I just like a stranger, it's because I sense the danger. I'm afraid to love you, I'm afraid I do. up his end. <laughs> no, it costs a lot of money to keep up a horse. I wonder who it could be. Well, I don't know who the guy is, but when we put the horse on a big race, I hope that his half won't be dragging. <laughs> Mr. Archie, hmm? do you know anything about horse racing? Are you kidding? That's I was born with the smell of a saddle. <laughs> and... Horse flesh in my veins. I, you know, I learned to ride when I was a kid, only five years old. And in fact, the rest of the kids in the neighborhood used to call me Archie the Jock. How do you spell that? What do you mean, how do you spell it? They spelled it J-O-K-E-Y, Jockey. Yes, sir. Day after day, I used to race my own little pony. Hour after hour, I'd sit in the saddle till me little pants was worn thin. Did you ever win? Well, not every time, but I always managed to show. <laughs> but what am I doing wasting me words here? I better get me stable organized. Uh, Finnegan? Uh, yeah. Are you a lover of horse flesh? Well, frankly, Arch, I prefer salami. <laughs> Finnegan, 
I'm talking about racehorses. Oh, oh, uh, racehorses. Yeah. You know what? I, I own one once. How'd you ever own a racehorse? Well, it was a funny thing. I was out at the racetrack one day, uh, so this horse leans over the fence and he says, uh, Hey, Fagan, how'd you like to buy a good horse cheap? Now, just a minute. You mean a horse leaned over the fence and talked to you? What's so strange about that? It was a very low fence. <laughs> Boy, but, you know, he, he sure was a fast horse. Fast horse, huh? <clears throat> was you the jockey? No, the jockey was my sister. Your sister? Yeah. Where did your sister ever learn to ride a horse? Oh, she, you know that uh, race track down in Florida? The race in Florida? Uh, uh, Widener Handicap? Archie, it widened her all over. <laughs> Now, stop bothering with these nonsensical, Finnegan. I'm trying to get this stable of mine organized. Now, uh, let me see here. Where can I find a groom? Believe me, it ain't easy. <laughs> I believe you. <clears throat> but I happen to be talking about a groom for me racehorse. Oh, uh, by the way, Archie, you know, after the race, they always have a pretty girl standing in the winner's circle. Mm-hmm. So? Well, uh, maybe if your horse wins, I could stand next to him. Yeah, but how would the judges know which neck to hang the wreath on? <laughs> <laughs> Archie? He's in the back room looking at the racing form. Oh. Say, is it true that Archie owns one half of this horse? Yeah. And some other guy owns the other half? Well, that's right. Well, what part does the horse own? I guess no part. This sort of thing couldn't happen if Abraham Lincoln was alive. <laughs> Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Oh, it's you, Papa. Where's Lame Brain? He's in the back room looking at the racing form. What, Papa? Oh, well, that's nice. You're sending over 300 pounds of beef? All right. We'll put it in the icebox. Finnegan, fast. Uh, Papa's sending over 300 pounds of beef for a party in the memory of his dear friend, Rhinelander McGurk. When it gets here, put it right in the icebox, will you? Gee, that's nice of Mr. Duffy. 300 pounds of beef. By the way... What? You sure he ain't sending over your mother? <gasps> That's for your information. Mama only weighs 298. She lost 15 pounds last summer up in Saratoga. <laughs> okay, Miss Duffy. We'll put the side of beef in the icebox, eh? Now, let me look at this racing car. Wait till Archie finds out about this. Uh, shall we bring it through the back door or the front door? Huh? Well, why do you know? They're surprising me. They're bringing me little horse to the tavern. <laughs> but suppose it's too big to get through the door. Well, that's only one thing to do. What? We can slice one piece off of one side. These butchers. Slicing a piece off me, poor little horse. I, I got a better idea. What's that? Why don't we saw it right down the middle? <laughs> the fiends. No, no. The, I think we should leave it in one piece. At least Finnegan loves horses. And then barbecue it. 
Lousy cannibal. I just hope it won't be too tough. Why are they talking tough? He's a sweet little animal. I know it. Well, if it's too tough, I suppose we can club it for a few hours. <laughs> I'll report this to the CPA. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I disagree with the whole procedure. I don't think it should be clubbed at all. Nice going, Finnegan. I think we should cut it up into little pieces and make hamburgers. Now, wait a minute, Finnegan. I've been listening to this conversation. It's gone far enough. What a lousy way to treat a poor little horse. A horse? Yeah. We were talking about a side of beef. Oh. Papa's sending it down here because he's given a party in memorial of Rhineland and McGurk. Oh, oh, that's different. And I'm sure McGurk will appreciate it, you know. He's a great lover of roast beef. Now, uh, let me finish reading this racing form. Hey, wait a minute. Holy cat, this is me lucky day. What do you mean? Me horse, Stumblebum. He's running today. <laughs> where, where? Down south. You know, the wealthier horses always go south for the winter. <clears throat> oh, yeah? Say, say, look, Arch. He must be a great horse. Why? The odds are a hundred to one. <laughs> now, that, that's an old trick, you know. They jack up the price to make the other horses overconfident. <laughs> Hey, who's he running against, George? Well, let's see here. Third race, Harry Boy. Slow starter, but can win. Susie Q, startled the clock as at Pimlico. Great in the stretch. Whirlwind, never looked in better shape. One last six starts. Knockout drop, cinched to win on dry track. And stumble bum. What's it say about him? Good to his mother. <laughs> It was your lucky day. It still is. Finnegan, here's two bucks. I want you to go down to Lefty's pool room and put it on me horse. Arch, what would a horse be doing in a pool room? <laughs> the horse ain't in a pool room. The bookie's in a pool room. Now get going. Uh, but I... Come on, get in your stirrup. Arch, I just want to see if I got it straight. Okay. So I go down to Lefty's and shoot a game of pool with a horse named Get in Your Stirrup. <laughs> no, no, Finnegan. Bet two bucks on a horse called Stumblebum. Who? That horse that you own half of. Yeah, put two bucks on his nose. Suppose you own the other half. <laughs> okay, put two bucks on that, too. <clears throat> Maybe he'll back in. <laughs> this is my lucky... Hi, I... Oh, you're back, Finnegan? Yeah, say, Arch, are you sure you got a horse? Of course, why? Guys down the bookie joint say you got a dog. <laughs> well, maybe it's on account of he's been scratched so often they think he's got fleas. <laughs> uh, did you put down the bet? Just like you told me. Is he still 100 to 1? Oh, better than that, Arch. Better than that? Yeah, he's 200 to 1. <laughs> oh, Bucks at two hundred to one. That's almost two hundred ninety-eight dollars. <laughs> hey, this is me lucky day. Fats, turn on the radio quick. I want to hear the results. Okay, lucky. And here the horses coming out of the paddock for the third race. Whirlwind is leading the field with Stumblebum second. a boy, Stumblebum, stay in there. Archie, come on, pass that whirlwind. Archie, come on, Stumblebum. Archie, what? The race hasn't started yet. Oh. Just a minute, folks. There seems to be some delay. Two officials are coming out on the track with a large bale of hay 
with 25 candles on it. They're taking it over to Stumblebum. <laughs> yes, boss, it's Stumblebum's 25th birthday. <laughs> well, you know, it's my horse's birthday. Mazel tov. <laughs> Thank you. To say the least, folks, this Stumblebum is no man of war. Ain't that wonderful? He's comparing him to the greatest horse that ever lived. And now the horses are lined up at the starting gate. And just a minute. Stumblebum seems to be down on one knee. Probably going to start from a crouching position. <laughs> it's all right, folks. He's up out, and there they go. Out in front, it's final win by two lengths. Susie Q is second by a length and a half, followed by Harry Boy, Breeze Quick and Speed King. Where's Stumblebum? Stumblebum is now leading the post. What? Well, what do you know? Stumblebum is now running away from the field. Out of voice, Stumblebum. Only he's running in the wrong direction. <laughs> Maybe Stumblebum is a mother. Does he have to pick a time like this? <laughs> Coming out of the quarter turn is Whirlwind by a length. Breeze quick and speed king. Whirlwind, Stumblebum, Stumblebum is on the rail. On the rail? Get back on the track. <laughs> and here they are. Now the stretch, it's whirlwind by length, Harry Boy, breeze quick, and here comes Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, whirlwind. Renegan, what's the idea? I just wanted to break the monotony. Of it. It's Stumblebum out in front, folks. Come on, Stumblebum, make it a real lucky day for me. This Stumblebum is sensational. The way he's running, you think he was a horse. <laughs> His two owners must be mighty proud of him today. And now it's been near the finish line. It's Stumblebum by one length. Stumblebum by two lengths. Three lengths. And now, flash! Stumblebum will hit the headlines in every paper in the country. What happened? He just dropped dead. <laughs> what? The winner is Whirlwind. Holy cat. I lost the race. I lost my horse. I guess this just takes me lucky day. Yes, folks, this is a tough break for Archie, one of the two owners of Stumblebum. You're telling me. But nothing compared to the misfortunes of the other owner of Stumblebum, who bet $500 on him. That gallant sportsman and tavern owner... Who? Patrick J. Duffy. <laughs> How do you like that? Duffy lost 500 bucks. It is me lucky day after all. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you're with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.